today on Pastor Joy. And this summer, we have been hearing from the book of Nehemiah. It is one of the books of the Bible written by a government official, just if you ever thought about that. It's short, 13 chapters. It takes about one hour to read. You can also listen to it on a Bible app, maybe, or an audio Bible while you do the dishes or walk the dog or commute. And I, I do hope that you're able to keep up with the story this summer, maybe reading it more than once or listening to it, because it will really help you to hear God's word each week when we come together. And we're focusing on the lessons it teaches us in this season of rebuilding, because God put it on Nehemiah's heart to return to Jerusalem and give the city an official legitimacy by rebuilding the wall. This wall was to reform the people who had been scattered out to come back, to form them into people with an identity centered on their God, the one God, the God who they had no images of, but the God who they knew created the heavens and the earth, the God called Yahweh. But as we've heard, In the past chapters, Nehemiah faced significant challenges, both from the outside and the inside. At one point, the guys who are rebuilding the wall are doing it with one sword, a sword in one hand, so they can protect themselves while they do the work. And then last week, Pastor Lars preached about the injustice faced by the people on the inside as they struggled with hunger, unjust interest rates, and excessive taxes. But, of course, the challenges don't end in chapter 5. They continue in chapter 6. New challenges brought by some old names that you might remember from previous chapters, Sanballat and Tobiah. And so today we move into chapter 6. And I am going to, instead of reading the story, I'm going to tell it to you, and we're going to read several verses from the, the text on the screen together. So I invite you today just to settle in and hear the story of God and how Nehemiah participated in chapter 6. So the wall was going up fast. The entire thing was built, though the doors had not yet been set in their places. And everyone heard about what was going on. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and all the other enemies of Nehemiah heard this good news too, but it was bad news to them. They decided to trick Nehemiah. And so they sent him a message. Come and meet with us at Karaphim, which is the name of a village, and the name means lion, in the valley of Ono. That does not mean, oh no, it means vigorous. So come and meet with us in the city of vigorous lion, a village. But Nehemiah knew that they were scheming against him. So he sent a message in reply, 14 words in Hebrew, and he said, I am doing great work, and I can't come. Why would I stop working to visit you? Well, this didn't take too good. So they sent the same message to him the different time, this time with a fruit basket. It doesn't actually say fruit basket in the Bible, but you kind of have to raise the stakes here. So it's, come and meet with us at Lion Village. And again, Nehemiah said, I'm doing great work and can't come. Why would I stop working to visit you? But they were persistent. They sent the same message again, this time with a chicken for dinner. And they said, come and meet with us at Lion Village. And Nehemiah said, I am doing great work and can't come. Why would I stop working to visit you? You think they stopped at three? They did not. The third time is not the charm. 
Neither is the fourth, which they did this time, I don't know, maybe a singing telegram. Come and meet with us at Lion Village. And again, Nehemiah sent back a reply. I am doing great work and can't come. Why would I stop working to visit you? Well, fifth time, same message. But this time, they included an open, unsealed letter. And that meant that as the letter, message, traveled by foot from village to village through different people groups, everyone was able to open the letter and read it. And this is what the letter said. Everyone is saying, and all the nations know, and Geshem says it's true, that you, Nehemiah, and the Jews are plotting a revolution, and that's why you're building the wall. People are saying that you're going to take the crown and become king, and that you have appointed prophets to proclaim there's a king in Judah, his name is Nehemiah. Well, the letter continued. The real king, the king of Persia, is going to find out about this, so we better talk. As soon as, soon before he finds out, let's sit down. So come, meet with us at Lion Village. So Nehemiah wrote them back another message. This time it was just seven words long in Hebrew, and it said, nope, not true, you've made it all up. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab were trying to frighten Nehemiah and the people, thinking that if they were afraid, they'd be more weak, and the wall wouldn't get finished. But, Nehemiah prayed. Would you read his prayer with me? But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. That's a first sabotage, but it doesn't end there. So one day, Nehemiah was at the house of Shemaiah, who was stuck at home, and we don't really know why. Shemaiah, who was pretending to be a prophet, said, You and I, let's go to the temple together. We can go in there and close the doors and be safe because they're, we know they're trying to kill you, Nehemiah. They're going to come and surprise you at night in your home, and that'll be the end of you. And Nehemiah said, who do you think I am, a priest? Someone who runs away from trouble? I just can't go hide in the temple because I'm not a priest, and I don't run away from trouble. And then Nehemiah knew that guess who? Sanballat and Tobiah had paid Shemaiah money to convince Nehemiah to sin by getting him to hide in the temple because he wasn't a priest, and according to God's law at the time, he wasn't allowed to go into the temple. And of course, he knew this. So guess what Nehemiah does next after the second attempt at sabotage? He prays. Let's read his prayer together. It'll be on the screen. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So, the wall was finished in early September after only 52 days of work. And word gets out to all the enemies and all the surrounding nations, and they felt afraid. Let's read why they felt afraid. We can read the next because they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. If God had helped them to build a great wall this fast, what couldn't he help them do? The surrounding tribes were now afraid, even though Sanballat and Tobiah had wanted Nehemiah to be afraid. But guess what? Even though the wall is finished, the sabotage doesn't end. Tobiah keeps trying to cause people to mistrust Nehemiah. He'd send letters to the nobles and then said letters to Nehemiah, telling him how great Tobiah was. 
And Tobiah would send letters to Nehemiah to cause him to be afraid. But do you think he was afraid? What do you think Nehemiah did next? And that is the story of Nehemiah 6. So before we hear the message on this story today, I invite you to pray with me as we ask the Lord to speak to us through the story of Scripture. God, you heard the prayers of Nehemiah. Now in your mercy, hear our prayers. Open our ears to what you have us to learn today. By your spirit, continue to mold our hearts and minds to look more and more like yours. Open our hands to receive your instruction, your wisdom, and your help. And we're thankful that we can come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I dove into Nehemiah the 6 these past few weeks, one image kept coming to mind. So, spoiler alert, if you have never seen this cartoon, the plot for this is that Coyote wants to catch Roadrunner, and he develops all kinds of tricks and techniques to do that, and they always backfire, every single time. I'm sorry to spoil it for you if you have never seen this cartoon, but Coyote never catches Roadrunner. It's a plot line that works. This cartoon has been being made since 1949, I believe. And obviously it works because Nehemiah had tested this plot line years before. In our story this week, Coyote is Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and Roadrunner is Nehemiah. They try all kind of things, and none of them work. They cannot catch Nehemiah. He just goes on right by them. Beep, beep. He's not distracted by the vacation and oh no. He's not too flapped by the slanderous open letter. He's not tricked into hiding in the temple. He keeps his eyes straight ahead on his mission, and he only does one thing in response to those Acme brand traps. He prays. Yes, that's what we did. That's what we read together those first two times, right? Nehemiah prays. He prays two times in Nehemiah 6, but that is nothing new in this book. In the whole book of Nehemiah, all 13 chapters, Nehemiah prays 14 times. Some of his prayers are real long. One is 33 verses. We haven't got to that one yet. Six of his prayers are just one sentence long, including the two we read today. But, you know, the length of the prayers really doesn't matter. What matters is that Nehemiah prays. He prays in the face of conflict, in the face of sadness and opposition and weakness and neglect. Nehemiah prays that God will see what he's done and that God will see what Wiley Coyote or Sanballat Tobiah Geshem the Arab has done. Nehemiah prays. Now, I don't know all your stories, I know some of your stories, somewhat, but I'm just guessing that no one is pursuing any of you like these guys pursued Nehemiah. Just a guess. Uh, has anyone been trying to trick you into hiding somewhere? So, you know, I hope not. I do hope not. But even though this might be more extreme sabotage in this story, none of us are without problems. I mean, none of us are totally okay and rebuilt. When someone asks us how we are, we might say, I'm fine, but I mean, maybe we are fine in contrast with Nehemiah or a refugee. Maybe you think about someone you know with a chronic illness, and compared to them, life is not bad, right? So you say, I'm fine. But really, we know that things aren't okay. Maybe you are struggling physically with illness. 
Maybe you're dealing with something you haven't even told someone else. You haven't told a spouse or a sibling. Maybe you're struggling relationally, a relationship with a, a parent or a child or a spouse. Maybe the politics of the day is, have changed your friendships, your relationships, and you've lost friends. Maybe you're struggling at work. Your manager doesn't notice your effective performance, and it's really hard to communicate with that new client. There are other struggles too, right? Other distractions and senses of inadequacy. Maybe you're struggling spiritually. We talk a lot about reading the Bible at church, but maybe you feel bored when you read it at home and it kind of seems out of touch and not relevant. Or maybe we talk about prayer and, and you want to pray, kind of, but it, it's hard for you to prioritize it. And then when you do, you fall asleep. I, I mean, that's not fine, right? And, and then, plus, this stuff is embarrassing to talk about at church. I mean, this is church, for crying out loud. Everyone is so holy and good and following Jesus. I hope you know I'm, I'm leaning a bit into irony here. Because if you have any of these struggles, you're not alone. I, I, if you want to tell me that you struggle with Bible reading and prayer, that, that you don't really even understand what it means to live as if you're loved by God and redeemed from your sin by Christ, I would love to sit down with you. If you're struggling with rebuilding relationships or trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian in your work or in your neighborhood, this is the place to explore that. None of us have it all together. As Timothy Keller quoted in his book, Reason for God, he says, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. You don't have to have it all together. But you do need to know you don't have it all together. You need to know that you're not actually fine. You need to know that there's a problem, right? Because that's where we start. Because that's what it takes to rebuild a wall. Nehemiah was single-minded because he knew it wasn't okay. He looked at the walls and they were crumbling. That was his grief. And that was his mission. And so us sinners saved by grace are invited to participate in God's action of rebuilding. Rebuilding our own spiritual lives, relational lives, participation in seeking the good of the city to paraphrase what Pastor Lars spoke about last week, rebuilding toward God's vision of shalom, which is often translated peace in our, in our Bibles, but really it means more than that. It means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Universal wholeness, flourishing, and delight. But none of this, none of this flourishing can be done without the help of our God. Nehemiah was not a solitary worker. The, the people, the families participated, and God helped them. I, I think the most important verse in Nehemiah chapter 6 is one of the verses we read aloud together. So let's read the whole thing aloud on the screen here. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. This was the work. 52 days to rebuild a wall. Let's think about this for a minute. I mean, there wasn't construction vehicles that day, right? I mean, the length of the wall is almost 2.5 miles. The height, there's dialogue about this in the academic literature, but it was probably about 40 feet tall. 
and the average thickness was eight feet. So people could walk on the top. That's a big wall, right? That is not like your fence in your backyard. This is a big job, and the work was accomplished with God, the text says. And just like Coyote, the fear that Sanballat and company had hoped to instill in Nehemiah and his compatriots backfired. Sanballat and company had not succeeded in making Nehemiah afraid. But instead, that fear backfired, hitting the surrounding tribes. When they saw and heard about the giant wall and the short 52 days it took to rebuild it, they were the ones who were afraid. This God who helps Nehemiah rebuild this impossible wall, what else can this God do? What other sorts of powers might this God have? This work has to be accomplished with our God and and our work too. Our everyday work, our everyday discipleship and faithfulness to Christ can only be accomplished with our God. In our own devotional lives, our family relationships, our schoolwork, kids, our very understanding of who we are can only be done and done right with God. It's God who does the work. As we're reminded in Psalm 27, 1, which we've, we've seen a few times this sermon series. Let's read this one together. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keep watch in vain. This is an important text to me. I have a cross stitch in my home that Justin and I got for our wedding. My great aunt made it. But it reminds me daily that God does the work. It's God's presence. It's God's power because Christ Christians. Christ is over all. Years after Nehemiah, years after the first Christmas, and after Jesus ascended into the heavenly realm, the apostle Paul wrote, Christ Jesus himself is before all things, and in him all things, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Christ is always first, and God always does the work. It's God's. We participate in it, but we're not the main players. God is. And I don't know about you, but that is really good news to me, especially these days. There is a lot of trouble. There's a lot of struggle. There is so much to do, so much hurt in the world, you know? And then someone still has to make dinner and do the laundry, and someone who needs to chat calls, and you talk to them. It can be overwhelming. I remember when I was a new mom with an infant, and my own mother said, plan to do just one thing a day. That's about all you can do when you're caring for an infant. We're limited. We need God's help in whatever we do in whatever we're rebuilding. You need God's help, we need God's help, I need God's help. So I made some vows when I was ordained a few weeks ago. I made some promises. Here's a photo of Pastor Lars and me. Um, I was asked, will you be diligent in your reading and study of the Holy Scriptures and seek the knowledge of those things that make you a stronger and more able minister of Jesus Christ And I said, I will with God's help. 
And then Kevin Swanson, who's our associate superintendent for our central conference, which is kind of how the, uh, the ECC is divided, he said, he asked us all, will you seek to live in conformity with Christ and his teachings so that you may be a faithful witness to Christ crucified and risen and a wholesome example for all God's people in the way you speak and behave in your love, faith, and purity? And I thought of all the ways I failed this. But then I said, with all the other people being ordained, I will with God's help. And then he asked one more question, and I said the same thing. And I'm so glad that this was my vow. I'm so glad I didn't have to say, yes, I can and I will because I am amazing. Because I'm not. I have to sleep and and eat, and I take medication every day so I can live a normal life. I cannot do this without God's help. But thankfully, this world is God's world and not my world. And it's not my responsibility to save the world because Jesus has already done that. I am simply responsible to participate in the work God has put in front of me, just like everyone helped build the wall that was in front of their homes. You know, we all make vows here, too. We made one today, right? We were asked with this baptism, as the congregation, if we would support and care for these children. And then we said it. We will with God's help because we can't do this without God's help. In some weddings, after the couple has said their vows, I actually do do this in all the weddings I officiate for, I ask the friends and family for their commitment to support and encourage the couple. And then I say, if you will, with God's help, answer, we will. I always include this. Because all the stuff we do, all the callings we have, all the opportunities for obedience, the opportunities for wholeness, flourishing, and delight are only possible with God's help. With God's help. Then this list continues beyond the vows we make in the church building, right? Any kind of promise, the kinds of promises that weave our lives and relationships stronger into the fabric of the church God has made, we can only say, we or I will with God's help. We can only rebuild, we can only do anything with God's help. It's God's help that keeps us focused on the mission not to be distracted by a vacation to Ono or a slanderous letter. It's God's help that empowers us toward courage when we're being told that they, whoever they are, are out to get us, only with God's help. It is only with God's help that Nehemiah and the families completed the wall in 52 days. And so, whatever you face today, my friends, whether it's Coyote-like traps or slanderous words of open letters, which is kind of the equivalent of ancient Near East Twitter, sabotage or trickery, learn from Nehemiah and pray, help me, God, help. And then whenever you succeed, give the credit to God. And this is how we deal with sabotage and trickery and the normal struggles of life. Ask God for help. Because God is our help. And so as we close today, we're going to really focus on praying together for help. One hymn by Isaac Watts, which we sang an Isaac Watts hymn already today, but we're going to do it again, that kept on being in my mind was, Oh God, our help in ages past. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to sing some verses. They'll be on the screen, and then I'll, I'll pray 
for help in between. But as you sing, I, I invite you to ponder in your mind where you need help. What kind of help do you need from God right now? And then we'll have a time in what we usually have as the prayers of the people for us to name those aloud before God together. God, help me with this. We're asking specifically for help for us as community and individuals. So let us turn to God, learning from Nehemiah, asking for help, because we can only do this with the help of our Lord. Let's stand and sing together. can't do anything without your help. You helped Nehemiah. We ask for your help today in the challenges we face. Jesus and the presence of the Spirit among us, would you keep us in safety from temptation, from evil and from the evil one, because you are our defense, you are our shelter, you are our help. God, we come to you to ask for your help. As we follow Jesus, may your spirit be on us continually. As we seek wholeness in our lives, spiritually and relationally, in our minds, hearts, homes, neighborhoods, and cities. And so God, now we come to you to ask you for the specific help we need in our lives. Let us pray. Verbalize to God any relational help you might need in this season.
Ask God for help for any struggles with anxiety or anger that you have. And if you are seeking help and rebuilding a spiritual life of closeness to Christ, of dependence on God's word and the spirit, let's ask for God's help in that now. God, who knows our hearts, you have heard our requests today. We pray that in your mercy you would answer them and help us. We praise you for your presence with us today. We pray that these words of yours from the book of Nehemiah will be seeds planted in fertile soils of the heart, and they will sprout like a garden after spring rain. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I invite you to continue standing to worship. We will be singing hymn number 608, which is one of my favorite hymns, I just have to tell you that. God of grace and God of glory, you can follow along in your hymnal or the words will be on the screen.